Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Jacobs to the Saints staff. Woo, Sean Payton. <laughs> Already making changes in Denver with his quarterback. <laughs> oh, and of course, Super Bowl 57. We'll get to it all on this tremendous Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parch III. Of course, I'm joined inside the game studios by Dawson Iserlow our new producer, the man running the ones and twos, a.k.a. Dila. Great show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking Raging Cajuns men's basketball with Bob Marlin. Oh, man, his team is already at the 20-win plateau. They're having a pretty good season. Jim Gazzolo will be hopping on with us to talk the state of McNeese sports, men and women's basketball teams, how do they look right now, softball season, Kicks off on Friday there at for the Cowgirls Classic. And then baseball season the week after. So we'll talk all things Mid-East with Jimbo. And then, of course, Ali Cassell will join us from the Bird Rights Pelicans. Man, they've been more like the Pelicans than the Pelicans. Won two in a row. Can they build that momentum? And can they make a move at the trade deadline should they make a move at the trade deadline, which will be this Thursday. So those are our three guests lined up for you today. Bob Marlin, Jim Gazzola, Ali Cassell. Of course, we'll preview Super Bowl 57 between the Chiefs and the Eagles. And we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We're going to start off with some of the shakeups involving the New Orleans Saints. We broke the news on the show yesterday, when the last hour I do believe it was, that they found their new defensive coordinator. The same day that happens, they lose one of their assistant coaches because he's reportedly going to Denver to join Sean Payton. And we'll get to that as well. But let's talk about the new D.C. Because I find this to be interesting. The man that has now been hired to serve as the defensive coordinator for this team after they parted ways with their two co-defensive coordinators. Now, one of them went to go take the job with the Dirty Birds. And the other one they simply parted ways with in Chris Richard. So they bring in someone that they're familiar with, or in particular, Dennis Allen is familiar with. Joe Woods, defensive coordinator. Woods was the Cleveland Browns defensive coordinator under Stefanski from 2020 to 2022. Now, 
the resume is actually pretty good when you look at Joe Woods overall. Those defenses in Cleveland for those few seasons were really good. Now, to be fair, they had some very good players on that side of the football. When you have Miles Garrett on your defense, it's, yeah, let's be honest, it's pretty easy to make yourself look good with a good defense. The guy is really good. But Joe Woods did do a nice job as the defensive coordinator, as the man calling plays under Stavansky in Cleveland. Now, they parted ways with him, and he was let go. So the Browns said, thank you so much. You were here with the other coach. We're moving on from from you. And he was literally let go just a few weeks ago in January. So had a nice job, has experience. That's a plus. He also has even better experience than working with the Cleveland Browns. If you look at the the resume of the 52-year-old coach, lots of low-level college coaching jobs early on. But he really started making a name for himself as a DB coach for the Vikings. Did that for nearly a decade up in Minnesota. Then he went and coached the defensive backs for the Raiders for a year. A glorious year where guess who his head coach was? Dennis Allen. So there's a prior working relationship there. DA was the head coach. Okay. Joe Woods was an assistant coach, not a coordinator, but an assistant coach. So there's familiarity there. There's Minnesota teams, if you remember, from 2006 to 2013, usually had some good defenses and usually had some good defensive players on the back end. So yeah, he's, he's a secondary specialist. That's what his forte was. Even in college, he was a DB coach. Defensive back coach, worked with Dennis Allen previously, then went to the Broncos as a DB coach there. And that's where he won a Super Bowl. He was the defensive backs coach on the Broncos Super Bowl team when Peyton Manning couldn't throw the ball past 10 yards because his arm was falling off. And they had a great defense. Then he served as defensive coordinator for a couple seasons. That didn't work out because everything post-Super Bowl 50 has not gone well for Denver. <laughs> I mean, I mean everything. Nothing's really gone well since Super Bowl 50. Worked for the 49ers for a year, which is intriguing because he was the DB coach and the passing game coordinator. Now, I understand that DBs, their primary job is to defend the pass. Having the guy coach the DBs and the passing game coordinator seems like a made-up title for someone that you want to put on your staff. That's just me. That, that's just me. And then, of course, he goes to the Browns. So this is a guy that has served as a defensive coordinator not once but twice before in the NFL for the Browns and Broncos. His defenses were pretty good. 
His specialty is being a defensive backs coach, which he's done a very long time in the NFL. And he has a previous working relationship with Dennis Allen. And we know from some reports already that DA is still going to call the plays. Right? That's not going to stop. So you essentially hired someone to come in, Dawson, to be a glorified defensive backs coach is what you've done here. The guy has a nice resume, Super Bowl championship on it, longtime guy, understands defensive backs. Chris Richard was your DB coach and co-defensive coordinator. So instead of having two co-defensive coordinators, now you have a guy that's going to be defensive coordinator really in title only because DA is going to be the play caller. But you have someone that's worked with DA before and understands DBs. And that's essentially what they did yesterday when they decided to hire Joe Woods as the Saints' new D.C. Yeah, I won't lose sleep over it. it it's not really not an important hire to me when D.A. is basically the D.C., so it'll be fine. My only thing about that is you need to have at least someone that's qualified in that position. I, I get what you're saying because D.A. is going to be the play call play caller but you need to at least have someone that you can trust that's done it without him and the reason why I bring that up and the reason why I think this is a good hire you're right DA is going to call the plays but Sean called the plays all those years with Pete Carmichael as the quote-unquote offensive coordinator we see how that worked out right I, I just we we've we legitimately have questions whether or not Pete Carmichael should be an offensive coordinator if he can handle play calling uh, uh, responsibilities because he was never forced to, right? He was OC and title only. He was a glorified quarterbacks coach. That's what he was under Sean for all those years. And we saw a little bit of that last season with his struggles with play calling as the play caller for the Saints. So I get your point, but I do like the fact that they have hired someone that has been an actual coordinator at not one but two different spots before that won't have to have his hand held by Dennis Allen. Like, I like that. Even though DA is going to call the plays, I just think it helps your coaching staff to increase the brain capability, the brain trust, if you will, by having someone that has proven that he can stand on his own without Dennis Allen holding his hand, unlike Pete Carmichael having his hand held by Sean Payton for a decade. Well, Pete Carmichael called plays during the bounty season. I mean, like, whether or not he's good, I mean, he still was qualified is my point there. So, I don't know. I'm not worried about you. Be- you believe, You believe Pete Carmichael is qualified to be the – because I know you and Foot have formed an alliance around Pete Carmichael. You love him. You need to protect him. I understand that. I don't love him. I really don't. I don't think he's good at calling plays, but I think he's qualified to call plays. You believe he's more qualified to call plays on offense than, say, Joe Woods is on defense? I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, I, but I don't think it matters. Like, I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying. You're very lifeless about this subject. Yeah. Just, so it could have been anyone. It could have been RP3 as the defensive coordinator, and you would got the same reaction out of you, is what you're saying. For the most part, yes. <laughs> The man says, I don't care who's the coach. I really don't care who's the coach. Dawson says, man, doesn't matter to me. So this doesn't 
impress you at all this guy's qualifications his resume or anything it doesn't it doesn't matter to you at all I mean I'm not gonna say it doesn't matter at all but it doesn't like fire me up seeing what he's done I mean but I I don't know that's what I'm saying I I don't like the way Pete Carmichael calls plays but I still think he has he had a good resume like if you looked at what he had done beforehand so I don't know Sean Payton loved what he did when he called plays in the bounty season supposedly when he came back that's what he said but I think that's what, you know, that's what he said. I mean, they went seven and nine, and or yeah, I think seven and nine. They they went seven and nine. So so yeah, so yeah, he, he liked it. I just I always go back with Pete to that he didn't want the job. Yeah, I really want to hear that story, and like, because it's been said a lot, but like we haven't heard anything about, and like he wanted the job again this year, or like so what changed? Went up for it. Yeah, I don't and, right. Or was, and was it, that taken out of context originally? Like I don't know. They the first thing that DA did when he got the job that he tried to hire Pete Carmichael, and he even talked about it in a press conference. And Pete said he just wasn't like he wanted to be on staff, but he didn't want to be the OC. So they kind of like put it on the back burner and waited a month, and then came back, and then Pete had changed his mind. Okay, so could have been like a loyalty thing to Deshaun, right? I've been with Sean for so long. Do I really want to be the OC? Do I just want to maybe go off in another direction? Right, so there, we don't know the – no one's ever actually sat down with Pete Carmichael and asked him. Okay, so that's that's one thing. But obviously, maybe this season, which is unbelievable, maybe this past season was like, you know what, yeah, I can do this, or I want to do this. Or maybe because the season didn't go the way that DA hoped it would be or Pete Carmichael hoped it would be, because as much as we've been critical of them, they probably thought that they were going – to win the division and go to the playoffs. Like, they probably thought that. They probably honestly believed that. Like, hey, we got this. Right? And then to fall short of that and to have struggles, maybe that's motivating Pete. You understand what I'm saying? To be like, hey, you know what? No, I want to be back. I want to prove that I'm just not Sean Payton's guy. Like, I want to prove that I can do that. And if that's the case, oh, man, that's awesome. That's great for the team because then you're going to have someone – who maybe had trepidation before, now is determined. Now is determined to prove a point. Now is determined to prove that he is good at his job. And that's the type of coach I want on my team. Yeah, and like what I've said on Foot Show is not that I approve of the of the job he did last season. Valentine's I, Day is right around the corner. You heart Pete Carmichael. It's okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> I just think he was given – he was not – if you look at the circumstances he was dealt, it was not really a fair situation. First of all, he went in the season thinking Jameis Winston was a starting quarterback. Um, that doesn't work out for a variety of reasons. So he already goes with a guy. And then the other thing, too, is that Andy Dalton, when he was brought in the, as the backup – it's always like a, some teams do this, some teams don't, but he had no similar skill set to James Winston. Like, they're right. not similar players at all. They're completely different. Right. They have completely different skill sets. So, you're right. That's a little, to be fair to Pete, you're having to adjust on the fly. And Andy is what he is. Right. I just, you know, it's like the year before when Sean had Trevor Simeon. You are what you are. Right. And Dalton is is what he is it's just you and I have talked about this dealt a difficult hand absolutely dealt it no no doubt no doubt 
You know, the Dallas Cowboys didn't miss a step when they had to go to Cooper after Dak got hurt. Okay? They kept winning games, right? Teams suffer injuries. They keep finding ways to win games. I just, I'm, I'm always hesitant to jump on, well, injuries. Well, you know what? Everyone deals with injuries. Every single team in the NFL deals with injuries. And the San Francisco 49ers were able to throw out Brock Purdy and make it all the way to the NFC Championship game. I, you, you can't have a win law. You can't have more wins than losses in the NFC South, which was trash with Andy Dalton at quarterback. Eh. There's play calling that was suspect. Just saying. When I mean, you don't put Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara on the field, if you don't put the ball in your playmakers' hands, yeah, that that falls on the that falls on the play caller. Just does. We got to take a timeout. When we return here, is Dawson going to be more fired up about a beloved Saints figure leaving the franchise to go to Denver? You're going to find out next here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It has begun. I wasn't expecting this guy to be the first man associated with the New Orleans Saints to depart the team to go join Sean Payton in the Mile High City for the Denver Broncos. Yet here we are. Reports are Zach Shreef is expected to be hired as the new offensive line coach for the Denver Broncos. The longtime Saints standout offensive lineman. Super Bowl champion, former play-by-play man for the Saints broadcast, and a, I would assume, are we going to say volunteer offensive line coach? I'm not really for sure how that went down this year. Dawson, we'll have to do some research. I know Doug Marone was the O-line coach, but he had Zach Streif and Jari Evans helping. So I guess it was in a volunteer basis. Yes, he was a an assistant offensive line coach. That was his exact title. Whether that was a paid title, not really for sure. But Zach Streif is gone. This is a guy who was drafted, developed, won you a Super Bowl. Then loved the franchise so much, became the play-by-play voice for the Saints. And then helped out as an assistant O-line coach this year under Doug Marone, him and Jari Evans both helped. I think Jari's role was less than Zach's. And now he's going to go and be the offensive line coach for his former longtime head coach, Sean Payton. Good opportunity for Zach, right? There's not an opportunity for him to be the O-line coach for the Saints because that's the job Doug Marone has. So really good opportunity for him to begin his coaching career. He was a very good player. Not a great player. A very good player in stretches for the Saints. 
helped him win a title. Was an okay broadcaster. I thought he had potential. I thought he was thrust into a role probably that he wasn't prepared for, but he even admitted to that, but he tried and he worked at it. And now he wants to get into coaching. It's a great opportunity for him and obviously him and Sean, right? There's already a working relationship. So my question to you, D'Lo, is Zach going to be the first of a few guys with Saints ties that are going to be headed to Denver? Or do you think he's uh, just like one of the going to be an anomaly? I don't know. It's, is Sean Payton the next Billy Napier? He's going to take like the video coordinators and Dude. the uh, the social media team. And Dude, I love Billy, but man, he did, <laughs> like he just took everyone. He took the kitchen sink. The video guy, the food truck deliverer. Like, he's just, come on, man. He took everyone. Yeah, I, that, if you're the Saints, is that your concern? But again, you have a couple of things in place. Um, number one, like, I don't know if I'm too tied to anyone on this coaching staff. That's a fair point. Plus, you could simply, if you want someone to be the assistant O-line, if you're Dennis Allen, well, Jari Evans was already serving as kind of a volunteer in that role. Why not ask him? He's still connected to the team. Just ask him to serve that role. Well, and if you wanted to. So that's my point. Like, uh, also. Unless Sean comes and gets him, too. He's also still said he's going to block lateral moves. So. Um, Mickey? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if, if Sean wants to give everybody on this team, like, higher paying positions and, you know, increased titles, that's fine. And and to to be fair, Mickey did say that, and I understand why he, he why he's wanting to do that. Right, we understand that. So that's why Nielsen, him going to the Dirty Birds is not a lateral move because he's going from co defensive coordinator to defensive coordinator. There's also a, a bump in pay, so that's allowed. Mickey can't block that. If Richard wanted to take, didn't Richard interview for the DC job in Carolina? Yeah, I think so. Before he got and, let go, um, before or they parted ways, however you want to phrase it. Um, that would have been Mickey couldn't have blocked that. Just like Mickey can't block the move with Zach Streif because he's going from an assistant O-line to an O-line coach. Maybe no one else on staff. But there are a lot of guys that formerly were on staff under Sean Payton that are out there that I feel like he's probably going to give jobs to, right? I mean, you feel probably like Lombardi probably is going to be a guy that's going to get hired in some capacity any one of Sean's guys, because when you take over a team, you have to depend on people, especially a rebuild like they're going to be doing in Denver and a project to fix Russell Wilson and that offense. Oh, that offense was dreadful. You got to trust people. And if you're a veteran coach, you don't want to have to hold everyone's hand, right, Dawson? So you're going to want guys in the room that you trust that are going to follow your instructions and do exactly what you want to have to be done. That's why I feel like we're going to see more of these, but maybe no more currently on staff. Yeah, I mean, familiarity, that's that's what these coaches want. And, I mean, Sean's taking on a new opportunity. And But let's also remember, like, this is going to be new for Sean because he was only ever a head coach with the Saints. Saints. So, you know, he's, what, 15 years removed from that first opportunity and, like, probably trying to remember, you know, how to how to start this thing up, trying to think about what he did at the at the beginning. So... You know, having people around you that you're comfortable with is going to be important. You don't want to have to bring in new people. Again, that word trust is important. And Correct. You know, yeah, Sean's got relationships all across the league, I'm sure, but the guys who he's worked with would probably be the first the first calls he makes, especially the ones who are available. 
Is Greg Williams? No, no, it's not. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't think that reunion's going to be happening anytime soon. It would be funny, but I don't think that reunion's going to be happening anytime soon. Yeah, and look, Zach is I- interesting, right? He obviously has a passion for the game and very good offensive lineman. And here's the other thing. He probably learned a lot. We're just assuming here because we haven't heard from Zach Shreve. Doug Marone's really good at coaching the O-line, right? Now, Doug maybe wasn't great in his entire career doing other things, but the guy is a great O-line coach. I remember seeing him last year during Cajun's Pro Day, and he came specifically. He's there in blue jeans. and like, who's the guy in the blue jeans? He's out there working out Max Mitchell one-on-one, privately off to the side. All right, show me this. All right, do this. Now do this. And, like, you could just – I just stood there and I just watched him. And I was like, wow. Like, you could just watch him and go, this guy knows exactly how an offensive lineman should move, how they need to swivel, what they need to do with their head. head." Like, it was watching a technician, if you will. So, you would assume that Zach just working underneath Doug from a coaching perspective probably learned a ton this last season right, on how to be an O-line coach. So, great opportunity for Zach Streif, and he's going to be reunited with his coach. Speaking of old Sean, <laughs> he had his press conference yesterday in Denver, and uh, it was uh, it was entertaining. We're going to share those clips with you and react to what Sean Payton had to say in his introductory press conference as the new Denver Broncos head coach. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. First day that I could be interviewed, the 17th, um, Greg, George, and Condi were there like breakfast time, the very first day. And and I knew that meant something. Um, Houston, we, we did a Zoom call. That was all, all of the, the process was fantastic. Um, what I was looking for, I felt existed in one place based on my exposure in, in with the other the other teams. Um, and I also was in a position where, look, uh, if it didn't work out, then, you know, we, we, we'd continue uh, working at Fox and, and waiting for the next hiring cycle. Um, this, this, this was the opportunity that I was interested in. Um, and, and I know I was the coach they were interested in. Now, it was complex. So if you, any of you were involved in ownership, 
and you were involved in trying to trade for a coach, certainly you would have a plan in place if those stakes were too high. I mean, I, I told Greg and George, here, here's the thing. They're making the trade, but it's like this trade impacts me, and if this trade is for this, then don't take it because I don't want to go if you lose that. <laughs> Does that make sense? And so that's where these guys were fantastic. And, yeah, if you're in that position, you're on the phone with everyone because at any time it might not work. Sean Payton, the new Denver Broncos head football coach. It was always Denver. It could have never been anyone else, and it was love at first sight. Oh, it, yeah, that's right. That's that. It was. It was. Look, it was love at first sight, Dawson. It was nobody else. You know, the other interviews were just interviews. There was no interest to in being the Carolina head coach or the Houston Texans head coach or the Arizona Cardinals head coach. Definitely, there's no interest to ever be the Dallas Cowboys head coach. There's no Sean's, one else. Sean's first words were Rocky Mountains. I think he said that as well. Like <laughs> you know, you know, I just want once, just once, for a coach to come out and be like, look, man, I interviewed other places. The other places intrigued me. But you know what? This is where I'm at. This is the best fit for me and what I want to do as a coach, and they need a great coach, and I'm here to do great things. Let's go. That's all I want. I, I, I don't I don't need you to wax poetically about how it was love and, you know, they were there early for breakfast, eating their crepes. You know, like I don't need I don't need any of that, dude. Like, what what are we doing? Why can't a coach just be honest and just say, they want me to be here? I want to be here. They want to pay me a lot of money to coach their team. Boom. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to earn my paycheck. That's it. Boom. We all know why you're in Denver, Sean. Because the Walmart family's backing up the Brinks truck. That's why you're in Denver. That's why he's in Denver. Hey, come on. Just just Why can't we just be honest? Is it that hard, Dawson? Is it that hard? Like, you already got the job. You're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. You've already signed the contract, my man. I like how he made sure to throw out, you know, Houston, uh, Houston was on Zoom. You went on Cowherd and talked about how it was a great interview. You, you, you talked about it for like a 15-minute segment on television and pumped yourself up and pumped up the interview process, but then... When you get hired, you're downplaying it. Like, okay, dude, I understand it's a game, but seriously, this is what we're doing? No, I get it. And, like, I mean, I, the whole point of it is, like, for us to talk about it right now, like, what we're doing. But, like, that's the same thing with, like, signing day and, and all these press conferences. Like, I know they have to say that. It's just so, like, yeah, obviously you think this guy's really good. I mean, you signed him. You're not going to get up there and go, he's okay, but he's the best we had, which may be the truth, but, like, that's never going to happen. Same with, like, these <laughs> – you know, Sean Payton's going to bring in a free agent next week and talk about how he's the perfect fit. And it's like, well, no, he's just who was available. But, you know, I get why they have to do it. But yes. It's just annoying. Yes, but we can still make fun of them for saying it. Now, we do know that Russell Wilson reached out to him. And Russell Wilson's always held Sean Payton in high regard. Has an immense amount of respect for Drew Brees as well, right? So there's always been that. You know, over the years when they were at Pro Bowls together, Russ was always essentially attached at the hip of Drew, right? So we do know that's part of it, and we know Russ tried to pitch Sean on coming to Denver. 
We do know that happened. And Sean was asked about Wilson calling him to come be the Denver Broncos head coach. When he called right away, I thought, man, I'm the last person that needs to get in trouble with the league. So I just, I, I, we chatted. I coached Russell in the Pro Bowl. And so it's a very small community where you get to know these guys. And he lives, he lives real close to Drew and Del Mar. And Drew had been, Drew's like, man, Russell is wearing me out. And I said, Drew, we're going to give you a little spot in the program. We'll call you Senior Assistant of Del Mar. You know, that's where Drew lives. Um, but, yeah, we spoke briefly, and, and Latavius Murray is one of my former players, and he's played with a number of teams. He's a super guy. You guys have had a chance to cover him. He's just, uh, you know, one of those guys you like being around, and, and we had a great experience with in New Orleans. And I had gotten a text right at the end of the season. He's like, man, we've got to find a way to get you here, me and my backfield teammates. So I didn't – when I heard that, I thought of running back. So then I thought, who else is in his backfield? And I'm like, who's your backfield teammate? And then he, he sent, like, the number three. And I said, it was Christmas time. And I said, well, be careful what you're asking Santa for. That was my response. So that, that we kind of go from there. So people were working behind the scenes. Obviously, Russ was working Drew. You know, we find out there. And Latavius Murray, yeah, he, was, yeah, he did some nice things in New Orleans. Probably should have never parted ways with him. <laughs> if Foot's listening right now, it's just, <laughs> the nine o'clock show is going to be rough. Oh, There's going to be some yelling. Oh man, Latavius Murray. Oh, what if? Oh man, you know they're going to try to retain Latavius Murray too. I can't can't wait to see Latavius Murray scoring touchdowns for under Sean Payton in Sean Payton's offense. Um, or you know picking up first downs. It's something Saints running back struggled with this last year. <laughs> so. Obviously, Russ was part of the pitch. But we know that Russ's personality has been kind of well-documented by former teammates in Seattle. And now his teammates did come to his defense in Denver, but multiple media reports were coming out that Russ rubbed people the wrong way. Rubbed the front office the wrong way. Rubbed his teammates the wrong way. Had his own special big office on the compound. And come to find out that his life coach... Because Russ believed he was on the same level as Tom Brady. That his life coach had an office. His life coach, his personal coach, had an office as well. And, you know, these are the type of things that no one cares about when you're winning. But when you start losing and you're a big reason why, because your performance is, let's be honest, pabon, the other guys are going to get kind of pissy about it, right? Your teammates are not going to like it. So Sean was asked about Russell Wilson's personal coach, and this is what the new Broncos coach had to say about that. Coach, uh, Russell Wilson had a, a personal coach, Jake Hughes, in the building with access who wasn't on the staff. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with that. Right, how do you feel about um, players having their own people off the staff in the building access to players? Yeah, that's foreign to me. That, that's not going to take place here. I mean, I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it. But our staff will be here, our players will be here, and that'll be it. I, I love how he had to – he he let it slip there a little bit. He, he, tried, he tried to cover himself up. Sean is very blunt, right? Sean doesn't mind being petty. He does not mind saying what's on his mind. And he did so, and then he was like, oh, I'm going to have to have a conversation with Russ that his life coach doesn't need an office. I wasn't aware. No, you knew exactly – What's going on in Denver? So, 
we've said we said it before when he got hired, right, Dawson? This is a guy that's going to come in and that those weird, that quirkiness, that stuff that was off-putting to teammates and to coaches will be regulated and will be restricted and will not be an issue under Sean. Because Sean's just going to pull Russ aside and go, my man, that's not how we're doing things. You want to be like Drew? You want to be on that level? You can't be like that. So if you if you want to try to pitch me on your new Subway sandwich and, you know, all that good stuff, you got your life coach or whatever else that you're doing, just keep that, you know, just text it to me afterwards. Don't bring it inside the facility. Just say. Sean Payton, the man in charge of the Denver Broncos. He says, there'll be none of that. There'll be none of that. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll unveil our poll question of the day. Coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team, I got one college team, I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for, that's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. Vian. Call me old-fashioned, that's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Poll question of the day on this tremendous Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. Do the Pelicans need to make a trade at the deadline? The deadline is Thursday for the NBA. Should the Pellies make a trade? Yes, need outside shooting. Maybe, but only right fit. Or no, Zion is the addition. Those are your options for the poll question of the day. Right now, 52% of you say maybe, but only the right fit. 44% say yes, need some outside shooting. And 4% of you say no, Zion is the addition. Let's get to some well-thought-out and carefully crafted comments. JPK, the OD, says... We're four years in, and Zion has played in 114 of 301 possible regular season games. That's 37.8%. JPKO the D. I I thought there would be no math. Why do we think he's going to get right now? Yeah, and the Saints were going to right this ship in week eight. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And he shared a gift from Stranger Things. Mr. Green, a.k.a. The Jimmy. Adding another piece is great when it fits, but sometimes it ends up being a toddler puzzle piece and 1,000-piece puzzle. You're kind of boned at that point. (laughs) Ralph says, Zion was last spotted getting rehab from the Saints medical staff, so he'll be fine. Trade, trade, trade. (laughs) John Paul, the Cajun Daddy, says, remember the Pels got this guy. That's right. Remember, they traded for C.J. McCollum last year. That's the best move that Griff has made. He's made some stinkers, especially early on. But that was a smart move for the team, and it's made all the difference in the world. You don't make that trade for CJ, you don't make the playing tournament last year, period. 
Ton on Twitter says, Pels needs someone who can A, step up. B, doesn't mind bench work when roster is healthy. C, can drain threes. D, can drive to either give teammates an opportunity to get open or take it to the house himself. Anyone like that available on the cheap? Probably not. <laughs> there's, there's probably no one that checks all those boxes that's available for the cheap. John Paul Cajun Daddy says they don't need anything else but to be 100% healthy. A healthy Pels team is a top three team. I don't disagree that, but when was, and Tom brings this up, when was the last time the Pels were 100% healthy and for how long? That's the thing about the Pels. That's the thing about the Pels. Their potential is championship caliber team when healthy. We've never seen them healthy. Ever. Ever. It's always been something. It's always been something. So until I see it actually occur, until I see it actually manifest in front of me, I'm going to have trepidation that it's actually going to become a reality. And a lot of fans feel the same way. Because I keep, I keep getting told by diehard Pell fans, oh man, when Zion gets healthy, when Zion gets healthy, when the Pells get healthy, Ray, that's going to be different. It's going to be different. And I've heard this for four years. Eventually, you just have to accept the fact that your franchise is either got some type of bad voodoo juju been placed on it, or they're just snake bitten and they just can't get healthy. Because you keep kicking the can down the road. Oh, wait till we get healthy. Wait till we get healthy. And yet you're not getting healthy. I have to see it to believe it. Keep those votes coming, though, for the poll question of the day. Do the Pelicans need to make a trade at the deadline? Yes, maybe, or no. Go leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, right around the bend, right here on the game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Game hotline 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You want to chop it up with us, give us a call. I'm Raymond Parsha third, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined inside the game studios by Dawson Iserlo, a.k.a. D'Lo. Bob Marlin will be joining us, the longtime Raging Cajun men's basketball coach, 15 minutes from right now. So you want to get your phone calls in to discuss the changes on the Saints coaching staff and Sean Payton's introductory press conference with the Broncos. Or if you want to touch on the poll question of the day, feel free to do so. We'd love to hear from you. DA adds someone to his staff after seeing one of his co-defensive coordinators depart to take a promotion. Once again, Mickey Loomis was going to block any lateral move, but Ryan Nielsen had already left a few weeks back to take the DC job with the Atlanta Falcons. They parted ways with Chris Richard, 
who was the other co-defensive coordinator who was in charge of the defensive backs as he was an interview as he was a candidate for other jobs as well now what they do how they replace him well they brought in joe woods former defensive coordinator for the cleveland browns he was also defensive coordinator for the denver broncos he worked with dennis allen in oakland with the raiders for one season but his specialty is defensive backs and we know that da will essentially still call the plays on defense so this is someone that dennis allen trusts he's worked with before we know that his specialty is going to be db so he's going to be essentially a glorified defensive backs coach who has the title of defensive coordinator because if you're not calling plays you're essentially a position coach right i mean let's be real for a second so Joe Woods has been added to the staff as the defensive coordinator. But the same day that we find that out, we find out that the Broncos are hiring Zach Street, former longtime Saints offensive lineman, Super Bowl champion, former play-by-play voice of the Saints, who served as an assistant O-line coach under Doug Marone this past season for the Houdats. Well, he's going to become the full-time offensive line coach for the Denver Broncos, reuniting with Sean Payton in Denver. So, Sean's already started collecting his guys, and I would expect more coaches with ties to the Saints to be added to the staff. Joe Lombardi kind of springs to mind as someone who was let go during this cycle that could land there, among others. And, of course, Sean Payton held his introductory press conference yesterday. There was plenty of interesting things that were said, (laughs) including, uh, you know, Personal life coach for Russell Wilson having his own office. Ah, That's not going to fly around here. That's not going to fly around here. So that's what we touched on heavily in our number one. Of course, we do have the poll question of the day. Do the Pelicans need to make a trade at the deadline? Yes, maybe or no. You can keep voting on that and leaving your comment as well on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, it's time for us to head out to the hotline. Welcome on Randy to the show. He's been patiently waiting. Randy, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Well, good morning. <clears throat> I actually watched the Pelicans for the first time in a month on Sunday, and uh, I was very surprised. Um, I don't know if you watched or not, but you probably saw at least the box score. They only shot 24 threes in that game, and they busted 130 points. I mean, they the first quarter, I think they only shot maybe four or five at the most, and one was the last second one. And <clears throat> by being judicious with it, they actually were able to make like 50% because they weren't just throwing bricks up from out there all game long. They were driving the lane. They were hitting the big man. They were shooting their free throws. They were you know, taking six-foot, ten-foot jumpers. It, it was amazing. I loved watching that game. It was basketball the way it was meant to be played. And they destroyed the, the Kings, which everybody was picking them to get beat badly by. Now, hopefully, it wasn't just a strategy for the Kings and their particular defense. Hopefully, they've learned, and they know what they're doing now. Because even with Valanchunas and Zion out, they were able to dominate on the inside of that game. And uh, I, I was just amazed. I loved watching them on Sunday. I, if they keep doing that, I can watch them all year long, even if they don't win. But and, that team will be elite when they get Zion back. And, Randy, I'm glad you brought that up. And I want to bring in – I just want you to hold for a second. I want to bring in Dawson in on this conversation as well. So, it's something that I've thought about, and Randy brings it up. This team sometimes shoots, I feel, way too many three-pointers because they're not an efficient three-point shooting team. 
and they seem to jack up. But Sunday is a perfect example, and we know Fox was out for Sacramento. We get that. But the Pels didn't have B.I., and they didn't have Valachunas starting. They didn't have Zion. And yet they didn't depend on the three ball, and they looked really, really good. Do you feel, Dawson, as someone who monitors and watches the Pelicans, do you feel like what Randy brought up, that maybe sometimes they depend on shooting too many three-pointers in games? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it's kind of the nature of the league, though. Um, it's just, you know, threes are worth more than twos, and teams have kind of figured that out. But, um, I, yeah, I think uh, their offense is more effective when you're doing both and when you're not forcing them. I think good looks matter. And part of it, too, is Trey Murphy had a great night, and he's a guy who can really set you up offensively. But, yeah, no, I mean, look, that's the funny thing, too, is that they were going inside to Ernan Gomez. It wasn't like you had your dominant forces inside, so that kind of proves Correct. to you that, uh, you know, if, if you're patient enough with it and if the matchups are there, which that does matter, but if it's there, then, yeah, I think it's a, it's a more efficient way to play. So, And I do hope, because I actually agree with, with you on this, Randy, is if, if they're being a little bit more patient, like Dawson just said, just be a little bit more patient, because I think sometimes, and once again, this is a, still a very young team uh, in, in, in reality, and it's still a young coach only in his second year. I do feel like sometimes they – not that necessarily they, they panic, but it's just like, oh, well, okay, we're down by four, we're down by five, let's jack up a three instead of running the offense the way it is. Now, when Zion comes back, I would expect that to be helped a little bit because obviously he's not a three-point shooter and the offense is going to run somewhat through him again. But I will be interested to see if they can take that template that we saw over the weekend and start implementing that more. They're still going to shoot too many threes for a lot of us, probably you included, Randy, but maybe they will start implementing a more balanced attack moving forward. Well, that, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping it wasn't just a single-game strategy because they didn't really start throwing up the threes until they had a big lead. I mean, they, they were throwing them up here and there judiciously when they had good open shots. But like I said, I think they only shot five in the first quarter, 24 for the whole game. I haven't seen that all year. Even when Zion was in there, they were shooting way more than that and, of course, only hitting 28%. I mean, this is this is the game. This is how basketball was meant to be played. You go high percentage, you go on the inside, you dominate. And they blew away a Kings team that's been surprising everybody all year long. I mean, blew them away. Yeah, And uh, I, it was amazing. Brother, appreciate the phone call as always. I hope you have a tremendous day. You too. Good morning. Bye. You know, with the Pels, we, we talk about, you know, them not being healthy. And that's part of it. And there will be an adjustment period. I just want everyone to prepare themselves. Because fans typically sometimes, oh, the guy's going to come back from injury and, and, and it's all going to be good. Did you see the adjustment that B.I. needed? And, and we're, we're still not to the point where B.I.E. can even do a back-to-back. Right? Because the toe is still, the toe is going to linger for B.I. the rest of the season. Can we just go ahead and just all admit to that, that there's he's not going to be 100%. It's going to linger, and B.I.'s going to need some time off, especially on back-to-backs. Zion's going to need time off as well because that's a hammy, and it's, a, it, it's tricky. I've seen this happen over and over and over and over and over again. Ask Chris Paul how it is to recover from a hamstring. So they're never going to be 100% this year. But, but I do like the depth of this team. And like Sunday's a perfect example, Dawson, of when you watch this team, you go, 
okay, there's no Zion, there's no B.I., there's no Valachunas, uh, and they got Willie out there. Like, on any given night, they have two or three guys that can step up in a big way. That's what gives you hope that even if they're not 100% healthy, that they'll figure it out. Now, they got to figure out how to put the big fella back out there with everyone else. Well, I'm talking Zion, of course, because that's going to be an adjustment period for everyone. Because, what, they've only played eight or nine games total together, the starting five this year. So that's going to be an adjustment period, too. But they do have a multitude of guys that can make plays, that can step up, when given the chance. When given the chance. Yeah, and I agree with you, Zion. It's going to take some time to get him back fully going and integrated. But I will say I think it's going to take less time than it took B.I. Just because, like, Ingram is such a rhythm-based player and everything he does kind of goes through that flow and he relies on that jump shot and everything like that. Whereas Zion, if if he is – if he's fully back from the injury and it's not like the hamstring that's hampering him, it's just like getting back into the flow of basketball, uh, those high-percentage looks that he gets are still going to be high-percentage. So it's not necessarily as much – His game's different. Yeah, so right. I think I think it, te- it lends itself to him getting back in the flow a little bit. But that's another reason I would love to see, which is wishful thinking, but I'd love to see him come back – for a game or two before the All-Star break, if possible, to kind of give a jump start on that and then maybe let him be practicing. Maybe I I would prefer him not to play in the All-Star game, but, uh, you know, maybe they let him get a few minutes here and there before it, maybe play a couple minutes in the All-Star game, and then it feels like he comes back, you know, a little bit more in rhythm. But at the same time, if if the hamstring is hampering him at all, then, yeah, go ahead and be safe and just wait it out. What moves should they make? Not, 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 don't give me a name. Give me the type of player you believe this team needs to trade for. Outside shooting would help, but like, there's just that's what everyone wants. So, like, I don't know how easy that's going to be. You and like 14 other teams are going to want right. that. And you know, reportedly, you know, OG Ananobi is a name that's been floated around mm-hmm. a lot, but reportedly the asking price is pretty astronomical right now, and so that's kind of looking more unlikely, but. You know, I I don't know if you're going to find the guy that I would want. That's why I, you know, I, I made that choice of only if it's the right fit because I I think sometimes teams just make a move to make a move, and sometimes that's from a you know I mean look we saw the Dallas do it. Now I don't that's a, a little bit higher scale. It's not necessarily just making a move to make a move, but they felt pressure to make something happen, so they did. I don't know if the Pelicans are in that situation where you have to force something. Um, I think this roster showed you in the first two three months of the season that it's capable of winning if it's at full strength. He's not exactly a great outside shooter, right? Right. But a name that I know has been thrown out there, and I don't even know if the Pelicans could 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 pull this off, but he's definitely a guy that could help stretch the floor, and uh, that's Pascal for, with the Raptors. And Toronto wants to move on from him. Apparently they're going to be sellers, right? Toronto is. So is that someone that could help the Pelicans in any way? Yeah, it is, but I don't. Again, I don't. Is Toronto willing to move on from him, and are they willing to move on from him at a reasonable price? It's been conflicting reports because I still don't know what Toronto really wants to do. Right, as a team, as an organization, right now, you could move him and get assets. You could also move Fred Van Fleet. I don't know if they're going to do either. Are they just going to tread water? Because that's what it feels like right now with Toronto. But look. I think it's going to be a minor move. That's what I think the Pels are going to do, Dawson. But I didn't expect them to pull off the C.J. McCollum thing last year either, and they did. 
you know, do you package like a Devontae Graham or Jackson Hayes and some second-round picks, all the Laker picks that you have for three years, and go get you somebody else like a, a veteran guy that can come in and help you? Maybe. I, I don't know, but it's a weird thing because you have 12 teams in contention in the West, <laughs> you know, 10 more in the East. How many teams are really going to be sellers? That's another part of this. Well, and that's the beauty of the trade deadline because, like, I've heard a lot of people say if the trade deadline, if it wasn't for the deadline, no deals would ever get done because it creates urgency. And teams are, you know, there's also this big fear around the league of letting guys go that that you're not going to get anything back for if they're going to walk in the end of the season anyway. So I think teams are, you know, sometimes fearful of that. So occasionally you can take advantage of a situation like that and maybe pick somebody up. But... Yeah, that's the other thing, too, is that there's there's definitely the possibility of we hear names that we float around and that media floats around, but that's not always the names that are actually getting talked about in those you know general manager front office rooms. So it could be a factor of a guy that we're not talking about at all that gets moved and maybe a guy that we don't even think is available that gets moved. So. We didn't, right, we didn't expect CJ last year. We didn't expect that, and they were able to pull it off. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Keep those votes coming for the poll question of the <coughs> of the day. Here in RP3 and Company. Coming up next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball team sits atop the Sun Belt standings. They have reached the 20 win plateau, and they got a hard fought win on Saturday inside the Cajun Dome in front of the best crowd since 2018. The Fabulous Cajun Chicken was on hand. It was an electric atmosphere there in the dome. And joining us now to talk all about it is the man in charge of the Raging Cajuns. Bob Marlin. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing great, Raymond. Good to see you last week. It's good to see you too, Coach. And uh, look, your team has reached the 20-win plateau. You're having multiple guys step up, contributing for this team. The crowd is packing into the Cajun Dome. Oh, man, it's good to be a raging Cajun right now, isn't it, brother? Yeah, it's fun. I'm happy for our guys. We play good basketball. Raymond is the most important thing coming home from a four-game road swing that we won, and then we come home and we play good basketball for the most part. So we're still trying to play that perfect game and eliminate mistakes, but it has been a good ride so far. And to be one of the only uh, 10 teams in the country to win 20 games at this date is pretty impressive. You led wire to wire against a team that is a very good ball club, a team that is competing for a regular season championship, and and you were able to lead wire to wire. What does that say about your team? We've done it several times, 
Raymond, and that's been a big part of our MO. We come out fast and, and play hard and get a lead, and then we've been able to maintain those leads, something we weren't able to do in the past as well. But uh, it just says that we've got a team that can play for 40 minutes. You have a team that plays for 40 minutes. You also have a team that has a bunch of guys on it that have no trepidation whatsoever, Coach, of stepping up in a big moment when their number's called. And you also have a bunch of guys on the same hand that aren't selfish. Uh, that's a rare combination, especially these days. Uh, just talk about the kind of DNA of your your team. Well, we've got great character. We recruit good young men and try to blend them together. And when it works, it's, it's uh, like a puzzle I mentioned the other night. But it runs on its own when it's at a high level and all your great teams have great locker rooms, the guys get along. This group is unique, Raymond. I've done this a long time, and this group is uh, is one of the top two, if not the top team that I've coached as far as celebrating each other's successes, uh, encouraging each other, just playing. And you hear the cliche, it's chemistry, it's family. Well, it's all true with us. Jordan Brown had himself a heck of a game. Uh, but what I loved afterwards, Coach, and it just made me chuckle when you said it, and it, it just kind of reflects the type of coach that you are and the type of players that you have, is that you know Jordan has the first 2020 game uh, since Sean Long did it back in 2016. Uh, it's only the sixth one in program history, but you were like, yeah, well, and he goes, I, I told him, it, 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 you know, it could have been 30. It should have been a 30-point game. Oh. When you have guys on your team that put up great numbers, that are great players like that, but yet still know that they could have done better, still take coaching even though they're the preseason player of the year, I, I mean, that that has to be a great, I guess, relief for you as the head coach knowing that you got guys like Jordan Brown like that. Yeah, and Jordan has matured so much since he got here. You know, his story is so different. Uh, being a great player coming out of high school, McDonald's All-American, goes to Nevada coaching change, goes to Arizona coaching change. He comes here uh, for some stability, and it's uh, it's been a, a great ride for him. And he has just matured, Raymond. I can't tell you how much. He graduated at Christmas. Um, he's always been a very good person, but he's just really taken care of everything that's in front of him. And he's easy to coach. Um, guys, everybody, we all get along. And I did tell him at halftime, hey, we got, uh, you got 17 and 14. You out-rebounded the whole team. They had 11 at the half, but you, you need to get 30 and 20. And then afterwards, he just smiled when I said that to him later because he knows he left several free throws on the board in a, in a shot or two he should have made. So he goes, you're right, I should have had 30 and 20. <laughs> Greg Williams is someone who you could argue, and I know Jordan had the 2020 game, but you can make an argument that there may not be a better player in the conference right now in the last three weeks than Greg Williams. Uh, just tell me how impressive it is to see his development and his ability to elevate his game to where it is right now, where he is playing like a first-team all-conference player and a guy that should be in the conversation uh, for player of the year. Greg has been outstanding. He and Jordan both are the two older guys who were part of senior night, along with Jalen Dalcourt and Terrence Lewis. But Greg uh, is 
one of our captains. Uh, he's a great human being. He's a, a better person than he is a basketball player, if you can believe that, Raymond. But athletic, strong, great defensively. Got a, got a really nice shot. Uh, getting him to rebound the ball a little bit more. He got a couple of easy buckets the other night off some offensive rebounds. And he's been a joy to coach. Um, works at it every day and helps his teammates. And that's the best quality Greg has. He, there's not a better teammate on our team than Greg Williams. Coach, you're currently tied atop the Sunbelt Conference standings with Southern Miss, the team that you face off in Hattiesburg on Thursday night. You already faced them one time before. You got the better of that team. Let's talk about Thursday's game. After you've already played them once before, what are some of the uh, challenges that the Golden Eagles are going to present your club Thursday night? Well, they've lost only one game since we beat them. That was the first game of our streak, Raymond. If you remember, we came off a one-point loss where – call went against us at the end of the game we lose by one lost at four to old dominion did not play well in the first half and then uh played good against southern miss we jumped out to a, a lead in the first half and we're able to, to maintain that lead and i think we wound up winning about 14 points maybe 75 61 but they've got a good team and and uh austin crowley uh is a really good player for them um, Philippe Hasse is a really good player for him, and they added a guard from Puerto Rico who's injured. Did not play against us the first time. He'll play in this game some. And uh, he's kind of like the young man over at New Orleans, the place of the Pelicans. Uh, is it Alvarez? Yes. Uh, I, and uh, he, he's spirited. He comes in and sparks the team. So. They'll have a big crowd. He'll try to do something special and get the team going. But everything else is pretty much the same, Raymond. We'll wrap it up with this, Coach. Look, everyone knew how talented your team was. You're the preseason favorites to to win the league, preseason player of the year. So the bullseye is on the back, and it's been that way from jump, right? And every time your team takes the court, they're going to get every team's best effort. What's been the message to your guys as you know, you've passed the halfway point of conference play, and you know you're coming down the, the stretch here in the month of February. What's the message to your guys right now? Just to continue to do your job. Uh, our guys have been super focused and prepared. Our coaching staff does a great job, Raymond, at setting the table. Uh, you know, today will be a big practice day for us. Tuesday's our big work day, and uh, we'll we'll have a great practice. The guys will come and compete. And they'll accept the coaching and the scout. Uh, you know, we, again, our coaches do a great job. We spend a lot of time with our players. And I think they'll be prepared. Coach, appreciate your time. As always, best of luck this week on the road there at Southern Miss on Thursday and then at Troy on Saturday. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday, brother. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukawaru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. 
They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. If you follow us on the social media platforms, the Book of Face, the Tweety Bird, the Gram, the TikTok, and the YouTubes, because we're all over the place, you're going to start seeing this new initiative from a certain former morning show producer, now turned social media coordinator. Can you get the answer to our joke of the day? And this is the first one. The one up first, Dawson, a.k.a. D-Lo, a.k.a. D-Money, a.k.a. D-Nice, a.k.a. Iceman. No, I, just, I, I, I took it too far. I apologize. Can you get the answer to our joke of the day? We will update with the answer tomorrow. Ha, ha, ha. The joke of the day, how do potatoes resolve their fights? That's your joke of the day. Dawson just sits there shaking his head. The man just shakes his head. I already know the answer because Hannah told me. (laughs) But there you go. Joke of the day. You you, want to try to give a guess here, Dawson? I'm okay. (laughs) The The man says, nah, bro, I'm good. I'm good. I'm straight. Thanks. I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day though do the pelicans need to make a trade at the deadline deadline once again is going to be thursday yes they need some outside shooting maybe but only if it's the right fit or no zion is the addition right now 50 percent of you say maybe only the right fit 42 percent say yes need some outside shooting eight percent of you say no zion is the addition And we'll see how they play once that happens. So keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts. Just make sure they're clean. I know some of you are maniacs out there. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Let's talk Super Bowl 57. It wasn't media day yesterday, right? It was this new thing that they've been doing of like the the opening night of Super Bowl week. It's just... it's amazing, even in my lifetime, Dawson, how it's changed. Like, it's just completely bananas. So, Super Bowl 57 will be Sunday. Chiefs-Eagles. This is extremely interesting to me on a multitude of levels. We've already discussed, you know, it's Andy Reid versus his former team. The head coach with the Eagles was actually let go in his career by Andy Reid. Right? So, there's that dynamic there. There is Kelsey versus Kelsey, brother versus brother. That's a nice little angle. It's also the first Super Bowl in history to have two starting African-American quarterbacks face off. That's never happened, which is when I heard that, I was like, really? It was one of those things. Like, I was like, really? It just kind of surprised me. It just it just did. 
So that's a huge deal as well. These are also two teams where <laughs> they haven't trailed either one of them since week 17. Neither one of these teams trailed at all in the postseason. <laughs> so somebody's going to be put in a, in a spot that they're not comfortable with. And you look at these teams and you make the argument that Philadelphia has the better team, right? The better overall roster, the way it's constructed. They also did so with a second round draft pick at quarterback, by the way. Just going to throw that out there. It, it, that's the other part of this that interests me. Jalen Hurst was a guy that some people believe couldn't play in the NFL. That is a finalist for the MVP award and has led his team, has helped lead his team to the Super Bowl as a second-round draft pick. Do you know the last second-round draft pick to win the Super Bowl at quarterback? Want to take a guess? Um, I don't know. Number nine, Drew Brees. Wow. Been a while. That's an interesting little thing, right? That That's... It's one of those things. It's like, There's really? a sixth rounder that was hogging a lot of those slots from now and then. So. Right, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and Russell Wilson was also in there, too. Right? He was a, he was a, a mid to late round pick as well. So, it, it, it's interesting. You we, we, we focus so much on year after year, Dawson, quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. You got to trade up to get your guy. You got to trade up to get your quarterback. If you don't get your franchise quarterback. But when you look at... The playoff success, if you, if you want to go with the measuring stick of winning championships, right? Which is, that that's the, it, it's a lazy argument, but it's the argument that's now become the go-to argument in sports culture is, well, how many championships have you won? Drafting a guy in the top 10 would suggest that you shouldn't do that. If you're just basing it on, Championships, Drew Brees was a second-round draft pick. Russell Wilson was not. Uh, he was a mid-to-late-round draft pick. Tom Brady was a mid-to-late-round uh, draft pick. Over and over again, these are the guys that are winning. Aaron Rodgers, who everyone you know has a love-hate relationship with, he's going to go down as one of the greatest of all time. He will. That's going to happen. He wasn't an early first-round pick. He fell, famously, dropped, plummeted down the draft board. Patrick Mahomes was not a top-ten pick. Well, he was number 10. Wow. But he wasn't high up, right? He wasn't a, a top five pick, rather. And the Chiefs traded up to go get him. Do we look at it wrong? Like, I just, because I look at it this way. I think it less to do with the quarterback, and it's more about the organization. Rodgers is a late first-round draft pick. He gets groomed and has to take over for Favre, and Favre was a second-round draft pick who got cut, who got discarded after one year because he partied too much in Atlanta and ended up in Green Bay as a backup who just seized the opportunity and took over. It's the organization, right? Like that. That's what it feels like for me is coaching is important, the players is important, getting the quarterback early, but look at all these teams that are – competing for championships and are able to take in quarterbacks late in the first round or even not in the first round and compete and play for championships. They're well-run organizations that don't have top five draft picks year after year. Yeah, so there's a couple of things to this. I think 
The issue, though, is that you still need the quarterback, and it doesn't change where you get them that you need one. So if you go into a season, and look, if you want to keep taking shots in the second and third round at guys, that's fine, but that doesn't usually work out either. My thing is, number one, I think one thing you're starting to see is the way that the league is now and the way that the contracts are set up. You need to win early with if you're going to draft a guy. Yep. Uh, so, A, taking guys that are further along in their development seems like it's been helpful, which Jalen Hurts had a chance to develop a good bit at both Alabama and Oklahoma. Correct. But the other thing that I've been noticing, and you know, Philadelphia didn't necessarily draft Jalen Hurts with the idea that he was going to be not only the quarterback then, but the future of the franchise. I he don't was know a if, luxury pick, wasn't he? Yeah, I don't even yeah. know if they planned on, you know, it, it just kind of happened that way. But the other thing that you're seeing is when a team is further along in their development, when they take the quarterback, I think they're setting themselves up for success more often. Whereas, the, like, the 49ers had a ready-made roster and then they selected Trey Lance. Now, Lance got hurt and things didn't happen, but a ready-made roster to win where you add the quarterback and now he has a chance to play for four years on his rookie deal and you have a chance to win in that window before you have to sign him. The only other... Now, look, the guys who are winning that are on huge contracts is Mahomes, who's the best in the league, and you're just not going to find the best in the league that often. So, like, we'll see if Cincinnati's able to win with Burrow once they start paying him huge money or not. Uh, um, and, and they have a huge issue with one of their three great wide receivers this offseason. Right. And w- whether or not they're going to pay him or not. Or they're going to let him go because they have to commit money elsewhere. And you're right about, once again, it's all about the, the organization. And I always bring this up because we get so focused on QB, QB, QB. Because they get, they get more of the praise and, and, and than they probably should. Look at Tom Brady. Early on, he goes to an organization that had played in a Super Bowl a few years prior, had its defense set, and had the greatest kicker of all time. He's the backup. Drew Bledsoe gets hurt. He comes in. It's a ready-made situation, right? There's no, oh, you got to carry the team, Tom. It's a team, right? And it's and and that helped his development as a quarterback. The same thing happened. Seattle did the same thing that you're talking about. Uh, Seattle did with Russell Wilson. The team was already ready-made. Legion of Boom defense. Great running game with Marshawn Lynch. Couple of guys that you could throw the ball to. Russell Wilson comes in. He wasn't even supposed to be the guy. Remember, he just beats out Matt Flynn in that training camp and wins the job. Ready-made situation. Organizations that do that, that focus on building the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football, building a defense, making sure special teams are taken care of, making sure you have other pieces, are able to bring in a quarterback and have them succeed because of how they built the roster. When you're a team and you're making the quarterback your savior, nine times out of ten, it never works. Well, and it it's doesn't. so circumstantial the quarterback position because do does anyone think Brock Purdy, if he was the starting quarterback at the Houston Texans this year, would have had success? No. Like no, no and he, he wouldn't have. But he was in a good position, and that's so. Then other teams, you know, might see that and think of you know trying to use that model. Maybe we can find a guy late, but. Brock Purdy, in my opinion, is only being super successful because of the position he's in, and I don't think he's a bad quarterback, and maybe he's better than people thought he was. But like, but then the other the counter argument to it is you build through infrastructure and things, which is what Dallas has done, and they have the mid round quarterback, but then they just haven't been able to get over the hump, and so then Correct. it becomes a situation of it doesn't it, do you you're tear right. it down or not. It doesn't always work, but Philadelphia built from inside out, line of scrimmage out, and then everything else came together. San Francisco's done that. 
Kansas City did that. Remember, they didn't need a starting quarterback. That was a luxury pick that the Chiefs had that they went up and got Patrick Mahomes because they still had Alex Smith, who Andy Reid turned into a Pro Bowl playoff quarterback. And guess what? Mahomes got to wait his turn a little bit and went into a situation where you already had guys on the defense and you already had guys on offense and you already had Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill there. Mahomes didn't have to be the savior. Jalen Hurts hasn't had to be the savior. Brock Purdy hasn't had to be the savior. Tom Brady hadn't be the, had to be the savior back in the day. You see how this works? Like, and, and that's my big point. See how this works? This is your template. It is proven over and over again that it works. It just proved nine times out of ten that this is the way to do it. Just think about that when we get ready for the draft. That's all I'm saying. And Andrew Luck exists, but like also look at what happened in his career now. There were other Because they didn't build around him. And so you fear that that might be the case with Burrow too, right? You That's need... my concern. Now, that was the same thing with Andrew Luck. Like the, the Bengals built around him really quickly and got pretty Colts. good. The Colts Col- did it yeah. pretty quickly. No, I'm saying so same thing with yeah, what yeah. the Bengals did. It happened pretty quickly. But then again, you saw like after a while, the cra- the, the, you know, the, the cracks in the armor kind of showed themselves when Luck had all those injuries and things went down. And so that's, yeah, I understand your point there. And, and, it, and it makes to, uh, to make it interesting. Yeah, Peyton Manning's do exist where you take the quarterback first and everything works out. And But that's not the only way to win. And I mean, But there were growing pains for a while there. Yeah, they were, they were terrible. They, first they, they, years, they were so. terrible. And look, I see other teams out there. We'll wrap it up with this. Our guy Darren, diehard Jets fan, number one Raging Cage fan of RP3 and company. I believe the Jets are building that way. Their deficiency is at quarterback, but they have built up line of scrimmage, defense, right? They got some nice pieces on the outside as well. They need a quarterback. I think it's easier, Dawson. I'm just going to It's hard to wait and be patient and build from the inside out on your roster construction and then adding a quarterback because it takes patience. It's harder that way, right? It just is. But I think it's easier to do it that way than to put it all on a 21-year-old kid coming out of college to be the face of your franchise. I just, th- I just think it's... Which is why the Saints should bring in Derek Carr and worry about quarterback later. That's the end Boom! of Boom! There it is. I set you up for that. You're welcome. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. Wrap up hour number two next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. Do the Pellies need to make a trade at the deadline, which will be Thursday? 56% of you right now say maybe, but only if it's the right fit. 37% 37% say yes, need some outside shooting. And 7% of say no, Zion was the addition whenever he comes back. Steve on Twitter says, apps are freaking lootly. The need to add a medical team who can keep players available. Find the guy on house. That guy cures everything in an hour. He's not wrong. I mean, he's surly and he's rude, but he gets the job done. Even though his methods are not in the conventional manner or FDA approved. Hour number two is in the books. Hour number three, we're going to kick it off with Jim Gazzolo. That's right. 
Jimmy G from LC. Going to be talking all things McNeese to kick off hour number three. That's next here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. on the dial, which means it's our final hour of this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. Poll question of the day is all about the New Orleans Pelicans. Do they need to make a deal by the trade deadline, which is Thursday? Yes, no, or maybe? Go vote on that. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We'll talk more about that when Ali Cassell joins us coming up half an hour from right now, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. But right now, it's time for us to kick off this final hour of Super Bowl week with a man who's covered all the big events in his illustrious journalism career. He now brings prestige, accountability, credibility to covering the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. It's our good friend, Jim Gazzolo. Good morning, sir. How are you? You know, I figured the difference between me and you just in your intro song. That the guy is. sings in that everything's going to be all right. I always find myself saying, is it? Is it really? <laughs> yes. You are what we call a delightfully negative person. <laughs> right. I can live with that. Yes. I can accept that. Speaking of negative, let's <sighs> talk about the McNeese men's basketball team. I. They were leading yet again. Yet again. Yet again. In a game they should have won, they could have won, they didn't win. Why can't this team close out games, Jim? Well, that's the question. Uh, been outscored 155 to 102 in the final five minutes of games. 27 turnovers in that time. Here's another thing. 11 of 22 free throws in that time, five of which were front end of one and ones I, I calculated some 70-point possibilities they didn't get. Uh, you hit 10% of those and you win more than half of those games. Uh, no point guard. No go-to alpha guy on the court. Uh, coaching, we got to say coaching, strategy, a uh, lot of things. Just don't have anything at the close of games to get easy baskets or – an identity to score points, and that's the difference. They're 5-19, and 2-9 and nine in conference play. They've lost nine straight. The last win came on Joe Dumar's day where they played inspired. Uh, they did. They yeah. played extremely well against Northwestern State, and they've you know been on the struggle bus ever since, unable to close out games. And, and driving and, the struggle bus. Uh, driving the struggle bus. Uh, they still have games on the schedule that are going to be coin flip games that are going to be winnable games that can keep them in the conversation of actually making the conference tournament. They have to play UNO on Saturday at UNO. Then they're back home 
against the Carnate Word next week. And then they still have at Houston Christian on the 23rd and then wrap up the regular season at home on a Wednesday, March the 1st, against UNO. That could very well decide who gets the final spot in the conference tournament. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, but they have to play other teams as well, like Southeastern, like Texas A&M Corpus Christi. They have to play Southeastern, in fact, twice. What do you believe the mindset is of this team right now? Well, that's the question. Um, do they do they believe at the end of the game that here we go again, or do they think they could finish it? I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't see anything that says to me something's going to change. Um, the The issue is, I don't think they they play hard. I think the issue more is they just don't have a finish. Uh, they don't have the ability to finish games. And, look, New Orleans isn't very good, uh, but Lamar isn't very good. And Lamar beat him. We're tied at 61-61 in a must-win game at home with a minute six left and get outscored 9-2. to two. That, that's, that's, that's bad. Um, and, and so I think we're at a point where this is what they are. They've won one game since the first of the year. Uh, I, I think this is what they are. And until they could show somebody that they can break this spell at, at the end of games, they're going to lead. I fully expect they'll lead tomorrow or, uh, yeah, Thursday night against Southeastern because they always play Southeastern well. I think they're going to lead in the second half. And I think the same thing's going to happen. Southeastern has some guys that will take over games. And McNeese doesn't. Talking with Jim Gazzolo, he covers the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. What do we expect now that the losses have mounted up like they have? the goodwill that was built up early in the season, especially in conference play with Joe Dumars day. I, I, I expect that to his is significantly waned. What do we expect the home crowd to not only be like, but feel like Thursday night when they welcome in Southeastern to the legacy center, seven thirty tip. Well, they're not going to, they're not going to run anybody out of the town with torches, uh, but they're upset. They're disappointed and uh, they want change. They want something to change. Um, you talk to people around the games, and they're just frustrated. I think the team's frustrated. I think coaches are frustrated. But the uh, fans are like, you know, we expected more. Um, we've invested more than ever before, and we expect more. And we've been promised more. So, not a good combination, right? Not a good combination. Does John Aiken need to make the conference tournament and win at least one conference game to keep his job? Oh, yeah, I, I would think so. Uh, I may even have to win two games. Um, yeah, the, the thing the thing you have, the interesting thing about the league is this. The two nicest arenas are Lamar and McNeese. Uh, the two biggest home crowds are McNeese and Lamar. The two teams at the bottom of the standings are McNeese and Lamar. Um, that doesn't add up. But I think the difference is, uh, and we've talked about this, is when you've made the investments they've made, um, 
yeah, you, you have to win, and I think he knows that. Uh, and yeah, I think I think uh, you cannot not make the tournament, and I think you have to make at this point you have to make a run in the tournament of at least one game. Now they won a game last year in the tournament from the seventh seed, um, and the first you know you're not in this tournament you're not playing number one if you're the eighth seed, you're playing number five, uh, so it's not the big leap of an upset. But yeah, you got to win, and you got to you got to draw some interest and give some hope. I think the thing the thing that people don't talk about enough is he had this big recruiting class that we talked about. None of them play. Um, either injuries or they don't get on the floor. So it's really the same five guys from last year, so we don't see much of a change. Yeah, and, and that's the other problem, right? You get that you get in these guys, you get these recruits that are supposed to be difference makers that are supposed to help turn around the program and they don't play. So how can how can you be expected to turn around the program or have the program turn a corner if the guys that you brought in to help do that don't play? And you you pumped them up as a big recruiting class. So you've told us this is this is the recruiting class that's going to change things, and none of them are on the floor. Robert Berze is really the only one that's on the floor. Now the two freshmen, Darren O'Day and uh, Thomas, have played well, I think. For freshmen, but they, they're not difference makers yet. The difference makers are supposed to be the transfer portal guys, and they're just, they just haven't done it. Thursday is Southeastern. Saturday is in UNO. You mentioned UNO is one of the worst teams in there. They're right above the Cowboys for worst in the conference. Yes. Does Saturday and next Thursday's game, I'm talking at UNO on Saturday and that at home versus Incarnate Word, are those two games must-win games for the McNeese Cowboys to be able to make the conference tournament? Unless they're going to upset somebody, yeah. And uh, we're at a point where they have to sweep New Orleans because they're behind. They have to jump two people. Um so you have to you have you have uh, what seven games left? You got to win four games. I think you got to win four of the seven games. So where do you find those four wins if you don't beat New Orleans twice, Incarnate Word, and Houston Christian? Where do you find those wins? Southeastern, because two of them are going to be Southeastern. Um, now they always play well against Southeastern, but again, Southeastern is the type of team that's tough, fundamental down the stretch. They win games. Um, that's that's. The mo that beats McNeese. I don't know if if they can get this to six wins without winning, uh, for without winning those three games plus. So, yeah, I think New Orleans is a must because you lose that game, now you've lost the possibility of winning a tiebreaker with them too. Jim. What about the women's basketball team? They've had their struggles this season. They've had some up and down moments, but do you feel like they're trending in the right direction right now as the calendar turns to almost the middle of February? Well, as you would like to say, they they, they get on the struggle bus. They drive it for a while. Then they get off the struggle bus. So, um, they, The thing about them is they had the worst game of the year when they got beat by 31 uh, Thursday night. Yeah. Then they come back and play very well. So they have some resiliency and some bounce back. Um, they're they're a team that if if they don't play well on defense, they're in trouble because they're going to turn the ball over X number of times. They're going to have some issues at some point in the game. 
But if they can lock in their defense pretty well, they stay in games. That they're they're good enough that they can. I mean, they're fourth right now. They, I can see them fourth, third, maybe at the best, and winning a game or two in the tournament. Yeah, I, I think they're they're on they're on an uptick. The, that's the thing is the entire school act, athletically seems to be at an uptick, except for men's basketball, and that's why they stand out so much. Um, but yeah, the, the difference with the women is they have shown the ability to bounce back after a bad performance. Uh, now McNeese is. I said about the men is, is intriguing to me is they have as many double digit wins as they have losses, double digit losses in the conference. So it is just close games where the women they have extremes. Uh, they lose by thirty one, they win by thirty three, all within the same week. Those extremes are are completely different as far as teams go. Softball opens up their season on Friday with the Cowgirls Classic. They're ranked, considered one of the top 50 programs in the country. Is the expectation this year for them to get back to a regional and to win a regional? Is that a realistic expectation, Jim? Uh, Get back to a regional, yes. Uh, Win a regional is always about, um, it is the next step for them. But that's always about what regional did you get into uh, where are you seated? I think they'd like to be a number two seed and then see, take their chances. But, yeah, that's their next step is to win a regional, and they openly talk about that because they got so close last year. Um, do do you have – to win a regional in softball, it's do you have that number one pitcher that can come out and win you a game one nothing when you need to? And that that's something that Nice has never had. They've had good pitchers. They've had numbers of pitchers. They've had deep staffs, but do you have that number one who can who can win a game when you have to win one nothing in nine innings or something? That's what we're waiting to see them develop. But yeah, they're going to be offensively. They're going to be they're, they're going to use speed, um, and they're going to be better at the end of the year because that's what he always does. The question is, can they win the regional? That, that's a tough haul because they're going to be always on the road. Jim, you know what's not tough? Deciding to have you come on here and talk me Nice Athletics with us every week, brother. That's an easy decision for me. Why? <laughs> Love you, Jim. But enjoy your week, brother. <laughs> oh, all right. And, and the Pel- as for the Pelicans question, yeah, they need to make a trade because they don't have anybody playing anymore. Thank you, Jim. What a surprise. Diane Williams hurt. Thank you, bud. All right, we'll see you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. King cake season is here, and break rooms are being filled with those delicious sugar-coated pastries. That is so sweet. Just don't be the guy or gal who gets the plastic baby and lies about it. Come on. Come on, really. Step up and do the right thing, cheapskate, and buy the next cake. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Raging Cajun softball team's going to kick things off 
this Friday with the Louisiana Classics. They'll be taking on Lafayette College. 4.30 is first pitch there at Lamson Park. I'll be there. I like covering softball. I enjoy it. I enjoy covering games at Lamson Park. I remember the first time I did so. And look, I had covered high school softball for a long time here in the state. And Sulphur, I still stand by this. If you take away when the top 28 was at the Cajun Dome, the best environment for any of the state championships is the state softball tournament over in Sulphur. The way they do their volunteers, the way the ballpark is designed, it's electric. You just feel energy everywhere you go. Okay? So I knew that we were a softball state on the high school level. But the first time I went out, and it was a Raging Cajun softball game, and it was on a Tuesday afternoon, and they were starting off at like 4 o'clock or 3.30. It was a weird time. And I'm like, no one's going to be here. <laughs> the place was packed. It was sold out. I was like, what? It's a Tuesday afternoon, like early. It was like in February, early March, a Tuesday afternoon before school's even out, and that place was packed, and it was loud, and I was like, oh, this is different here. This is different. How they how they have the passion for this the this team, this program, it's different. I haven't seen this before. Expectations, because of that passion, expectations are always extremely high for this team. And being nationally ranked, winning the Sun Belt, and getting to a regional, that's great. But that's not what the expectations are, right? From the fan base, the expectations for the Raging Cajun softball program is to win a regional, to get to the Supers, to get to Oklahoma City for the Women's College World Series. And Jerry Glasgow understands that. And he understands what's at stake for this season. He understands that expectations are what they are. And look, he said with the media yesterday that – one of the things that he looks for, as now a veteran coach, he and his staff, what they look for is for young women out there to be warriors, ones that can help them manufacture wins against elite competition and competition that's below them. It doesn't matter what level it is. They just want warriors out there that are going to manufacture wins. Yeah, I, I just think that what we need to get over this next hump is – you know, you go back in history and you look like it, you guys don't remember, but the 1980, 81, 82 Oakland A's, you know, they win the World Series every year and their team batting average 249, you know. Um, that's what I'm looking for. Like, guys, I just want, I want warriors that know how to go out on that field and some way manufacture a win and not go out on the field expecting a win to come to them, expect to go out and manufacture the win. And so when you think of players like that, like Maddie Hayden, that's what she is. She's a warrior on the ball field. If you watch the regional last year, she's out there playing. She doesn't feel good. She's got, you know, she, she just was under the weather with her, um, you know, whatever she had. She didn't have energy. But she, when the game started, she played with everything she had, a warrior for our program. And... Um, that's what I'm looking for, you know, those type of kids that's going to give us 100% effort no matter whether we're six runs behind or we're six runs ahead. I want to look the exact same. I want to play the same way. So he wants them to have that mindset and mentality no matter who they're playing or what the story of the game is, right? He wants 
players that are going to go out there and want to have their foot on the opponent's throat from start to finish. That's what he wants. And that's what it's going to take. Look, this program, you could argue that the fan base has been a little spoiled over the years about the amount of consistent success this program's had nationally ranked going to a regional year after year after year, right? And you can get numb to that type of success and you can take it for granted. It's not easy, by the way, to win your conference and go to a regional every year. If it was, everyone would do it. But you understand why. Because you understand why that is and why they want more than that. That's just natural human condition, right? You, you, Hey, you got success. I want more success. I want more. I want more. And it may not be fair to Jerry, and it may not be fair to the program, but that's what it is. That's what it boils down to. Because they want more. They believe that this program is deserving of winning, uh, going to the Supers. At least just going to the Supers. Going to a Super Regional. Winning the Super Regional. Getting to the College World Series. And look, Jerry said another thing that he's looking for, especially here early on in the season, he's looking for the nine toughest players that he can put out on the field every single day. Been a pretty tough training camp and uh, been a really good training camp. Uh, on January 9th, I met with the team. I told them I'm not looking for the nine best ball players. I'm looking for the nine toughest players that can get out there and compete at the highest level for the Raging Cajuns and, and the Raging Cajun program. And the inner squad uh, competition has been intense, to say the least. And I think it's definitely, you know, it's it's really stood out, the players that have grown and and are ready to step on the field and represent our program. Pitching, it always comes down to pitching, doesn't it? We heard Jim Gazzola talk about it for McNeese, about winning a regional. It comes down to you have enough pitching. Always does. Always does. The best teams in college softball have more than one ace. They usually have two. They usually have somebody else. That what makes the year, the COVID year, hurt so much more for Raging Cajun softball fans is because that year they had two legitimate All-American aces in the circle, and the season got taken away from them. That's a team that should have probably made it to Oklahoma City but never got the chance because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Pitching is key, and you got to make sure that your arms are nice and healthy. And Glasgow gave an update about the Cajuns pitching staff heading into the season opener this Friday. The good news, our pitching staff is extremely healthy. Our pitchers are throwing really well right now. Um, we don't have any sore arms. We don't have any medical issues at all with our pitching staff. So that's a good news. We do have several players just, uh, to different degrees of tweaked stuff, and uh, we'll hopefully have everybody back by weekend, but we may not. So we'll see how that plays out throughout the week as we get more information. So it sounds like to me, Dawson, and you can chime in here, doesn't sound like it's a for certainty that all the pitchers that they want to use are going to be available for the season over. I think position players. Pitchers are all good. Pitchers are good. Position players are not. Now, that can be a good thing, though, right? Because early, look, the level of competition they're facing off in the Louisiana Classics is not great. Let's just be fair. 
but this does give you an opportunity to see what these other players can do in an actual live game environment. And maybe some of the people that you're uh, you're going to be counting on aren't ready. That's fine. Give a young player some reps. That's the best way to develop them is actually in-game reps. That could be a good thing. That could actually be a benefit for Jerry Glasgow because, look, there we talked about it with him yesterday. Their non-conference schedule is brutal and brutal in a good way because it's going to help them with possibly getting a regional because they're playing elite competition. But this also allows some of these other players to get much needed experience to help with this roster's depth. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if if you all fans are necessarily prepared for the seat for the uh for the month that's about to take place because mm-hmm. you uh you have not played a schedule like this probably ever. Um they've certainly played some, you know, really good teams and he does a good job of going out and scheduling a national schedule every year. Uh, but this is a little bit to a different extent. The Clearwater Invitational's kind of become the premier uh, softball tournament, you know, in the early season. That's even, right. You know, kind of comparable maybe to like the Maui Invitational in basketball. Ooh, I mean, there like, we go. But even even above that, because almost every top contending team is at this event, and you know, UL I think is probably pretty honored to be invited to that. But you're going to play probably all tournament teams. You know, possibly all regional hosts or at least close to it in this tournament. So you're going to lose some games. Like, that's going to happen. And I think if you're able to win more than you lose, that would be great. But, you know, Coach Glasgow even, you know, in comment has commented earlier, like, even if they go 500 or so, or even maybe a couple of games below 500 through this non-conference slate, they're going to feel ready. Uh, and they're going to feel like that's actually still good for them to maybe have a chance to host a regional. So Non-conference record is going to be irrelevant. It really is. Look, they'll beat up on some of these lesser teams. You're right. The level of competition that they're going to be facing off. Once again, the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational, Indiana, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Arkansas, UCLA, Florida State. Then they still have to play LSU twice. LSU's a bit of a transition year, it feels like. But then they, they, they play Ole Miss. McNeese is a top 50 team. Texas twice. They have to play Texas twice. They have to play Princeton. And they have to play Florida twice. And that's all before conference play right that's all before they begin conference play against southern miss on march 17th so the first month of the season all of february and the first two weeks of march they're going to take their lumps there's going to be far more l's than a lot of fans are going to be comfortable with but it's going to better prepare this team to make a long postseason run and that is the ultimate goal for the raging cajun softball program we got to take a time out when we return we'll talk new orleans pelicans with ollie cassell Editor-in-Chief of the Bird Rights, that's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Our friend Ollie Cassell is a positive individual. Last week on this show, he was like, Raymond, I'm feeling good. They're going to turn around. Losing skid is going to be snapped. And he predicted that it would even happen against the Denver Nuggets or on Thursday. But that didn't happen. 
But the Pellies did turn things around over the weekend. They did take down LeBron and the Lakers. And then the next day, without B.I., because he can't go on the back-to-back with the toe issue, they took down the Sacramento Kings. They destroyed them without Zion, without B.I., and without Valachunas. Joining us now to take a victory lap is our good friend Ali Cassell from the Bird Rights. What's up, brother? Hey, Raymond. I'm so glad they won those two games. Otherwise, I would have probably avoided the show this week. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's start there. What what was the difference in those two games? And they won them differently, obviously, against the Lakers and the Kings. But what was the difference in those two games from what you saw with this team compared to the previous 10 games they had lost in a row? We finally saw the offense that was pretty much unstoppable in the first half of the season. Um, you know, scoring over 130 points against the Lakers and the Kings. They're not known specifically for their defense, right, those two teams. But Pelicans are having all sorts of trouble scoring 100 points against most teams over the previous, what, two to three weeks. So that's the biggest key for them. Defensively, you know they're not going to give up those big games, right? They're, they may have a bad quarter or two, and that's what was going on with this streak. But they just weren't scoring the ball, right? So getting Brandon Ingram back was huge because that suddenly put all the rest of the guys kind of in their more familiar roles, took all that pressure off, right? Because Brandon, I mean, he really looked for a shot against the Lakers. Unfortunately, it was going down. I mean, he he shot, I think, 17 jumpers inside the three-point arc, and he made 11 or 12 of them. And that, like I said, allowed for the rest of the guys to naturally fall into their own spaces. And that's good when you're struggling, right? The rest of the team had been struggling to score, uh, even individually. So... That happened. All of a sudden, you feel like they got confidence, right? All of a sudden, you beat the Lakers, a team that kind of they used as a springboard last season, if people remember, to get in the playing tournament because they eliminated the Lakers pretty much on their own with those three wins down the stretch. And I just feel like that just carried over the following day. All of a sudden, you see Najee start um, that game Sunday, scoring nine points. Uh, what was it? Nine of the Pels' first 13, and everybody seemed to be hot including Trey Murphy. He got hot, and he had a great game, as expected. Willie had a great game, you know, double-double for him because they rested Valachunas. So let's start with the B.I. because he had a great game against the Lakers, but obviously the toe is going to be tricky. It was a back-to-back. Is that something we can see, at least for the foreseeable future, giving him, try to giving him rest days, so to speak? Well, yes, he he needs rest, but here's the best part. They don't have another back-to-back until well after the All-Star break. I want to say it's March 11th, right? So that's more than a month away. And then when you look at the schedule, boy, does it look good for players that need rest, right? After tonight's game against the Hawks, they have two days off before they face the Cavaliers. Then they have another two days off before facing the Thunder. And then a day after that Thunder game, um, there's the Lakers. So everything's spread out. Then you get an eight-day break. I would fully expect that for B.I., uh, <clears throat> somebody like Valanciunas, who, you know, all of a sudden had that knee quad issue come up a couple games ago. All those guys are going to be ready to go after the All-Star break. And I think Zion, that's the biggest thing to talk about here. I think we may see Zion even before the All-Star break. So, sounds like for um, his prospects of playing soon, it's going to happen. Now, spoke with my producer. We spoke about this earlier about, you know, he said – he would kind of like to see Zion before the break. And I understand that philosophy, if you will, but he is coming off of a hammy. Why not just have him rest even additionally over the break and just have him play after the break? Why is it important to see Zion out there, get some reps before the All-Star break? 
I'm with you, Raymond. I would prefer he just sits uh, all these four games and the All-Star break just to make sure. But I think for him, if he's healthy, fully healthy, and, and the Pell's medical rights, you know, basically checks that off and agrees with him, it's a big deal to get him on the court for, one, he wants to probably play in the All-Star game, right? First time elected as a starter. I'm sure that's a big deal. But two, it would behoove him just to get his feet wet, right? Before you start that stretch run, you don't want him acclimating just like Brandon Ingram was when he came back from 29 games missed and taking like three to four games to, you know, get in the groove for himself and for the team. You'd rather some of this start, this process start now. So I, I can see it both ways, but I'm with you. Unless he's like 110% and he's been that way for maybe a couple of weeks before he plays, don't push it. Because we saw what happened with Devin Booker. He suffered. He retweaked his hamstring after he came back a little bit early for the Suns. And there's been other players that has happened to before also. So this team has kind of ended the skid. Uh, they still have an opportunity, as you said before, to go 4-4 four and four in their last eight before the All-Star break. It's going to take a little work, but they can still accomplish that. Maybe they're definitely going to get Zion back after the break, if not before. <clears throat> they have a method here. So what does this team do? by Thursday evening when the trade deadline comes and goes? I'm not expecting a big trade at all. Now, that doesn't just mean Kevin Durant, who it sounds like he's probably going to stay in Brooklyn for the rest of this season, but that also includes names like O.J. Ananubi, who I know has been on the Pelicans' radar, a lot of fans' radar here in New Orleans, and I just don't think that's going to happen anymore. One, Toronto's asking way too much. They aren't as interested in future draft assets as good young players. And I could see the Pelicans maybe trading one of, say, Herb Jones or somebody else, but not two. It, it's just not, not going to happen. They're not going to break up that core because they like this core. So I think, if anything, it might be like a Band-Aid move. You uh, move off of Jackson Hayes and or Devontae Graham and get like a Boyan Bogdanovich or Gary Trent Malik Beasley, somebody that can give you something in your areas of weakness without, like I said, breaking up this core too much. For Bodogovich, you would have to give up both Devontae and Jackson, right, and maybe throw a second-round pick? It would take a first-round pick. And really? Detroit okay. wants an unprotected one. So it, it, it's kind of a steep cost for a guy that would be coming off your bench. But I think it might be worth it. The Pels have a bunch of draft assets. If you really like your core of 9, 10 guys, you're not going to be able to to draft, say, over the next three years and keep everybody, right? Because the roster is only 15. <laughs> We're talking with Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. So you do expect uh, the Pelicans to make some sort of move by the tread deadline. I guess my question to you is, should they? Do you think they need to to help this team do what it wants to do and get into the maybe the top six, top four in the Western Conference and make a playoff run? Yeah, I'd say it's about 50-50 that they do, but should they? I would say yes, because look, we've seen how injuries have affected this team all season. Not just Zion, not just Brandon, but you've had Dyson miss games, Herb, you know, even Trey's missed like, what, three or four games. So it'd be nice to have a backup plan you can rely on, because for those times when they've had to rely on Devontae or Jackson, hasn't gone well or say you've got a couple guys struggling because it's a young team it's understandable Trey Murphy before this weekend was really struggling with his shot so wouldn't it be nice to have somebody like Bogdanovich coming off that you can count on 
when offense has been more of an issue, I feel like, than defense this season at times. So I think, yes, they should. You know, Devontae Graham, you want to get him off the books, right, regardless. Zion's contract, his uh, max deal is going to kick in next year. You're suddenly going to be pressed for space. So moving off of Devontae's 11, 12 million, that helps. Jackson Hayes, last year of his deal. But if you can get something for it, because if you re don't resign him, he's just going to walk this summer. But if you can potentially use him as salary filler and get something back, it makes sense from that uh, uh, pers uh, perspective, too. So I like them to make a deal. Yes. I'll get you out of here with this. It has nothing to do with the Pelicans, but it has to do with the Kyrie Irving trade. And I understand why Mark Cuban makes the deal because he feels like his team's middle of the pack and you got to do something. Uh, I have legitimate questions on whether Luka and Kyrie can play together just because of their styles of play. But what does this say about Irving that yet he's on the move again? A guy that wanted to be the face of the franchise in Cleveland didn't make them better until LeBron got there. And then he was okay being the second banana, but then he stopped wanting to be the second banana. And then went to Boston to be the guy and was not a good team leader, not a good teammate, not a guy that was easy to be coached. Leaves to go to Brooklyn, teams up with another top five generational talent and is unhappy there and now is gets paired up with another top five generational talent in Luka. Is Kyrie as good as he thinks he is? Yeah, when he's on the court, he is. I think there's no doubt in my mind that he's a top 20 player, probably even better, like I said, when he's on the court. But because he's so unreliable and he's missed games anywhere from mysterious injuries to disputes to just him not wanting to play, right? And, it, and it's been a pattern. It's not just one or two times. That makes you almost radioactive in the league. And that's why the uh, Dallas Mavericks honestly didn't trade that much to get him. I know they trade away two starters, everybody says. But look, they weren't, um, you know, starters in the in the name of where they're part of a core right i know dorian finney smith and, and they're going to need to find some defensive help but you move off of those two guys when you can add a you know top 10 top 15 player especially when you need to mark cuban messing up screwing up that jalen brunson um potential deal mm. really hurt and that's why they had to make a move for, for a guy like Kyrie and take a chance on him but i think most teams wouldn't right and, and that's what it says about him. Even though you're one of the best talents in the league, so few teams are willing to take a chance on you. I, I think that says everything you need to know about Kyrie Irving. Does it make the Mavericks better? I think it does. Luka needs a second guy just next to him that he can rely on. So oh, he's not going to have the ball in every possession, nor should he. He's going to wear down. He's probably already wearing down now. And there's enough possessions in the game to where both of those guys will be happy the only thing you wonder about Raymond and for me is crunch time you know Luca's going to have the ball he's the face of that franchise how well is that going to sit with Kyrie oh we or, already yeah. know the answer yeah. to that question Ollie <laughs> yeah yeah we do but look if they keep if they start winning and if they can just get through and make a really nice postseason run then I think in Mark Cuban's eyes this would have been worth it and then either you can try and resign him or you move on to somebody else. But it's kind of an interim move at a minimum. And they needed to do something, the Mavericks. And Kyrie needs to be the best soldier, so to speak, if he wants to get that $200 million deal he wants to. So he's got something on the line here as well. Ollie, appreciate you, Tom, as always. Brother, we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy your week, my friend. 
Absolutely. You do the same, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Thanks to Bob Marlin, Raging Cajun men's basketball coach, Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press, and Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, for joining us today here on RP3 and Company. We did have a poll question of the day. Do the Pellies need to make a trade at the deadline, which will be Thursday? 56% of you say maybe, but only if if it's the right fit. 33% of you say yes, need some outside shooting. And 11% of you say no, Zion is the addition. And once again, we expect to see him around the All-Star break, maybe even before, definitely after. So thanks to all who voted. Thanks to all who left their comments. We appreciate you being part of today's edition of RP3 and Company. You know what? We'll be back on tomorrow, and we'll try to be better. It will be the foodie poll question of the week. Super Bowl edition. Already laying that out with D-Lo. We got something up our sleeves. You're going to enjoy it. So make sure to tune in for that. For the producer, Dawson Iserlo, a.k.a. D-Lo, I'm Raymond Parch III, a.k.a. RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.